All right, welcome to Thought Rambler. I am Jonathan Dick, and today my thoughts are surrounded by borders. Open borders, closed borders, but the idea of borders, I don't know what it is. Something is in the ether. My thoughts have been thinking about this idea of... And it's not just, you know, it just it just happened today as well. It's not even that I'm thinking about it. But then, well, I guess it is I'm thinking about it. And then something else in the world reinforces that. Kind of tells me that, like, yeah, someone else is talking about borders. Someone's talking about the lack of borders or maybe the perspective of borders from a long view historical perspective. And I was like, hey, I'm kind of thinking about something like that. That's been that thought's been rambling in my head. I was thinking about thought rambling that. And then on top of that, someone else brought up this idea of the overview effect. I was watching something and some astronauts were talking and they were talking about the overview effect. And the overview effect is this idea that you are seeing the world from kind of like that historical perspective, only here it is literally geographical perspective. You, you're in space and you are looking at Earth like one would look at a globe. And it's spinning. And then there's the idea that you're not seeing it like a normal globe. You're seeing it like a... I mean, A, you can't touch it. You can't spin it. It's spinning on its own. And there's no borders. There's no, um, you know, the U.S. is one color and Canada is another color. Mexico is another color. Ocean is blue. Or maybe it's just, I guess, the continent might all be green, ocean blue, and then there's, like, lines on it. Maybe one of the reasons I was thinking about borders is also there's been some children's shows. The 18 grandkids are always watching PBS Kids. Uh, some Globe song that got stuck in my head. There's a lot of shows now where the hero of the show is an immigrant or first generation, uh, mixed marriage, different kind of family makeup than traditional shows. So there's a lot of like, oh, I'm calling so-and-so back home, or I'm calling so-and-so in such-and-such place in such-and-such country, as if it's nothing, which is also kind of funny because kids are growing up with this idea that the communication lines, there's nothing stopping anyone from picking up a phone, picking up a screen. You pick up a heavy piece of glass and you tap, 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 and then there you can be talking to anybody in the world, almost anybody in the world. There's power to that. And there's also this idea that it's funny because you can see and hear somebody, you know, in such a personal way that's so far away. You kind of forget this idea that you can get to them easily, although with certain means, that person could theoretically be where you are in no more than a day or two. It's it's funny how, you know, in my lifetime, 
the idea of travel and communication, when I was growing up, we still had phones. <laughs> you know, uh, I was trying to think of this thing the other day. It was like, uh, you know, you couldn't, you know, now you call someone on your computer and you do your taxes on your phone. <laughs> it used to be you would call someone on your phone and you do your taxes on your computer. But, you know, like <clears throat> you'd call somebody and it was a big deal, right? It was like it, it cost a lot of money. And it was the, the idea was that like you know, someone had to lay the cable. And that's expensive. And so this is how they recoup the fees. That's why like long distance is like you're using a lot of cable, you're paying a lot of money. There was almost a a pretty easy economic scale to it, right? The farther away, the harder to get to that person, the more expensive it's going to be. The easier the call, the more local the call, it's free, right? The idea of borders then at that time where you would think about like how long would it take for someone halfway around the world to get to you if that was a week? The fastest they could get to you is in a week. That makes like the idea of borders a little bit more concrete, right? Because like, okay, well, it's taking so long because you have to go through so many checkpoints. You have to go, you're going through so many different countries and each time it's, it's taking a while, though the bulk of the trip obviously is the travel itself, whether it's boat, plane, car, the idea that there's lines, country borders that you're crossing. It makes more sense because there's more time that it takes. It's more expensive to get there. It's more expensive to communicate. But now, you know, the children are, I mean, their world is being reflected in cartoons that says, I have, I have access. As someone who doesn't know how, you know, the mail works or, or what a cloud is, they have access to screens, right? Like this idea that uh, a child is watching a cartoon and the character in that show is also a child and they have access to a screen and then that child watching that is like, well, then where's my screen? Because maybe the screen they're looking at isn't their screen, but it's anyways. So many screens. But we're growing up in a screen era. You got screen babies. Babies who are just attracted to screens. They know that screens are where entertainment comes from. Screens are their babysitter. And somewhere around the world is seconds away. And I wonder for kids growing up now who can think of geography and communication to communicate with someone around the world for essentially free to be able to see them, not just hear their voice, but to see them and hear them without it dropping out, without it breaking up, not too many glitches. I mean, we're pretty good by now at doing this where it's so commonplace so many kids communicate with their grandparents from around the world this way or other relatives, friends. I grew up in an era where we had the Soviet Union. And so, again, it was like it felt so far away. And I just wonder when I look at the 18 grandkids, like, do they know how far away Russia is, Ukraine, 
is when they want to support Ukraine. It's like, do they really know where that is? Do they really know what's happening there? Do I really know where it is <laughs> and what's really happening there? And in a weird way, it's like our information is so crisp. It's so fresh because we can communicate to that area very quickly. We don't even have to send reporters over there. We just have to dial them up. Anyways, it, it, it's strange because it's like communication is telecommunication. And the Internet is sort of creating this media landscape that is. It's going to have a quicker time getting to that overview effect before humanity does, maybe. Because communication is already learning that, like, well, if it only takes seconds for me to reach a signal halfway around the world, then I'm not going through all these quote-unquote borders. Then why do we have all these borders and checkpoints? The flow becomes faster when we don't have them. Open borders is an almost toxic idea politically recently at least it feels that way every time i've heard in the last i don't know 20 years politically someone talk about open borders it is a oh no 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 that's not really well that's not what i'm talking about uh, that's what they're talking about they want the open borders let in all the crime, let in all the rapists. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't know if open borders gets a good rap or a bad rap. I don't know if the reputation is fair. I imagine it's very unfair. I always look at it with this idea that don't we all here, at least in the United States, recognize the beauty of having open borders? Like we have open borders. We don't have checkpoints going from one county to another or from one state to another. When people object to the idea of open borders, I don't know if in the same conversation we're having, like, well, you recognize that you live in a place where we have open borders. We do have closed borders when it comes to an international sense. And, and that's really the question when we talk about open borders, we're not talking about state borders, right? Because we're already there. But what's forgotten about or what isn't mentioned or maybe just the perspective is gone is that around the world, that's not the case everywhere, right? There are places where... The countries are small enough. I mean, I should just talk about Europe. Like, there's an argument about, you know, the benefit of the EU. I've been to pre-EU and post-EU Europe. Uh, not for, I'm not an expert. I'm not, like, a diplomat yet. <laughs> One day, maybe. But I, I was there when I was, I was in Germany, when Germany was Germany and not part of the EU. And I was in Germany when Germany was Germany in the EU. There was very little difference. 
I was not in Germany when Germany was in the Soviet Union. I wasn't in that part of Germany. I was in that part of Germany after the Soviet Union and after the EU. I saw all sorts of benefits to the EU because I saw them as a reflection to what the United States were. And I just grew up here. So to me, having open borders was obvious. And growing up in the United States, we before 2001, before 9-11, 2001, I, I believe you could just go back and forth to Canada with very little... Rigmarole. I think, I mean, a driver's license would have got you back and forth. You didn't need your passport. Maybe Mexico, depending on what border you went through, like the popular Tijuana border. I'm sure it would have helped. Or maybe there was like a, a card or something for locals. But I mean, it wasn't throughout the 80s and 90s, from what I remember. I don't remember many stories of it being terribly difficult to cross back and forth, especially if you were a white American. And we obviously had, you know, immigration in the 80s and 90s. We had, you know, migrant workers coming up. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. You know, it was easy to follow Interstate 5 and run the season up into Washington, turn around in winter, migrate back south. After 9-11, everything changed. I mean, borders got tight. Now, I don't know if we all stand on the same rock when we think about, like, well, did that make things better or worse for criminals getting into America. I really don't know. I don't actually, I don't know that statistically, I mean, the feeling of it is feels like no. It feels like, could, you know, it's like most security systems. You know, uh, someone once told me, you know, like uh, we were leaving his house. It was his parents' house. We were leaving his parents' house. And he uh, flips all the lights on. And we're like, oh, I thought, you know, I'm like, you know, we're heading out the door. And he's turned the lights on. I was like, oh, I thought we were going. And he's like, oh, yeah. My dad is a security guard or a security agent or does something in security. And so he always says, you know, keeping the lights on, that's the cheapest security you can get. And the idea being that, see it from the street, you think someone's home. And nine times out of ten, if someone's going to break into your house, they're going to want to break in when no one's home. If you don't leave your lights on when you leave because you're worried that it's too expensive, well, how much is broken glass, you know? <laughs> is it more than a few lamps for a few hours? I don't know. It's true. So, like, leave your lights on. Uh It'll eradicate all crime. So the question becomes, does it work because they see the lights, they don't break into your house, or is it because there actually just isn't that much crime 
and statistically, no one will probably break into your house. I mean, someone might. Definitely secure your house, do what you got to do, turn the lights on, for sure. But depending on where you live, obviously, it's not as statistically likely as the fear that we have of it. So I go through this debate a lot with uh, neighbors and friends because uh, a friend of mine has a door and it has a lock. And sometimes the lock doesn't work very well. And so my advice was, well, don't lock it then. And of course, this was like insane to them. What are you talking about? I got to lock my doors. And I'm like, well, you still have, like you have two locks on your doors, right? You have like the bottom lock and then this is like the deadbolt lock. Now, if any burglar is going to break into your house, recognize the fact that if they're going to do it, they're going to do it, right? Like the lock is not keeping them out. You could put a million locks on that door. It only takes one rock for them to shatter your window. And in the case of this door with the locks, it's all glass anyways. <laughs> so, so if someone wanted to get in, the key is any blunt object that's out on the patio. And that's why I'm just like, well, you know, the first thing anyone's going to do is they're going to reach for the knob. And if that's locked, in which case it is, then the door is locked. Do you need another lock? Because if they're going to pick that lock, then they're going to have the ability to pick the other lock or they're going to get a rock. They're going to smash the glass. And then it's just an easy reach to unlock one, two, or a million locks. To me, I look at that idea of locking your glass house <laughs> as, it's not foolish. I mean, lock it. Put some sort of security there. But there's going to become a point where all the security in the world, all the door-locking security does nothing if the door itself is fragile and is made of glass. Unless it's made of shatterproof or bulletproof glass, and chances are it's not, then a hammer or a crowbar or any other tool or, again, a rock will get you into that house. Now an alarm system, blah, 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 blah. Lights that turn on, motion sensor lights, blah, 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 blah. This isn't a, this isn't a thought ramble about <laughs> security. It's about borders. But the point being is that, like, you know, if a house is the place and the door is the border, the entry point, I mean, you just, again, it, it's like it's forced for the trees, like, we have a very successful country with open borders, but then we claim to have this lack of success of secure borders. But at least from the point of view of the national media, I don't feel like we're dealing with crimes 
international crimes all the time. 9-11 happened. There was a big fear. There was cat, copycats. You know, there was other things happen. I mean, we have national security for a reason. We have security for a reason. Again, lock the door. I'm not saying don't lock the door. Lock the door. But a million locks on the door when the door is made of glass. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of, the again, that's the thinking to me of the build the wall. Build the wall, build the wall. And then someone else is, you know, just, yeah, climb the ladder, climb the ladder, climb the ladder. Dig the tunnel, dig the tunnel, dig the tunnel. It's not that it's just so, it's not that it's foolish. Again, you know, uh, it, there's a, a secret... <laughs> It's not secret, but it's not obvious. There's not an obvious line in the desert between America and Mexico, you know, in the borderland countries in Arizona, California, New Mexico, Texas. Borderland countries, did I say that? Borderland states. You know, there's a lot of space there where you don't know exactly where you are. Now, the wall would tell you exactly where you are. <laughs> You're at the wall. But would the wall work? I mean, again, the amount of money it would take. And at that point, what are you securing? If anyone wants to get into the country, they're going to get into the country. They're going to get in by air, by sea. And, and again, by land. I mean, there's just places that you can't, you're not going to mine the whole thing, although that would be the next step. I mean, and to me, it's like, do you want the border between America and Mexico to be a demiller, a demiller, it's Miller time, it's demilitarized, demilitarized zone. Do you want it to be a demilitarized zone? Or do you want it to be a border? I don't know how we go back to pre 9-11 security. I don't know how we do that. I don't know how we get to back to the point where we can walk our loved ones to the gate in the airport. We can do it at the bus station, the train station, you know, but we can't do it at the airport. And it's really just for, it bogs down security because security has to be at a certain level now. But again, lock the door, but... How many locks? What's the right amount of locks? I don't know the answer. I'm not saying don't lock the door. I'm saying lock the door. But there's going to be a tipping point of locks. There's going to be a tipping point where it just doesn't make sense anymore to put energy into struggling to open a bunch of locks to get in and out of your house and to constantly lock your door. If someone wants to get into your house, they're going to get in. I don't say that to frighten people. I don't say that to frighten anyone. It's just the reality of, it's the, it, it's the reality versus the fear. The fear says, well, if I put a million locks on the door, I'll be safe. And the reality is you're safe because the chances of you being unsafe are slim. And they're slim because so many other things are working well. 
whereas other places geographically aren't. And there are places where it's not safe. You can't just sleep at night. And, and geographically, that might be very close to you, but it's not exactly where you are, or vice versa. You might be in an unsafe place, and you wish you were in a safe place. I wish you were too. So how do you make a safe place? I don't know. But we kind of have one, and we have a lot of examples of them around the world. I think there's a lot of times when you can look at the consolidation of territory and culture as a good thing. The United States, best country in the world. It's not perfect, but I think it has a very solid foundation to stand on. It just doesn't know what that foundation is time to time, generation to generation. I think that foundation that makes America so wonderful is that we are a conglomerate of a lot of different people, ideas, cultures. We are a melting pot. Salad bowl, spaghetti dinner, glass of wine. <laughs> We're all of those things. I love the idea that we have a not just multi polycultural, polycultural, multicultural, polycultural landscape. But it's that it's growing. I like the idea that it's growing. I like that idea that it a lot more than it being something that's shrinking. I don't, I, you know, um, I don't want America to be whiter or to be more of any one thing, really. I like the diversity that we have in America, and I like the fact that it's always changing and it's always growing. I live in a neighborhood that doesn't, that looks like it did when I was growing up, but the people who live here don't look like the people who lived here when I was growing up. Things change. Different people move in. Immigration works. It works, and it has worked throughout history. Humans are nomadic. So why is it that when we talk about open borders, why is it that we talk about it in a fear-mongering way? I don't understand what's, what we're afraid of. I don't understand what I should be afraid of. The great experiment, in my mind, would be to open up the border with Canada and America and the United States and Mexico and the United States. Now, on one hand, you could say this because we there's only three of us. <laughs> Negotiations should be a lot simpler than something like, I mean... I'm shocked that Africa does not have an AU, an African Union, by now. Um, I mean, I'm shocked in the way because it, it just seems that it's a no-brainer. I'm not shocked, you know, because of, it's, it 
it's not easy either. Forget about corruption and the needs of uh, of one country versus another country in a place like Africa. It is so big. You know, what uh, Morocco needs is not necessarily what Madagascar needs, um, although they both need money. <laughs> but I don't know how much, like, inter-travel and inter-African commerce is happening like it uh, – was happening or is happening in Europe to turn Europe into an EU. I don't know how easy it would be for something like uh, an Asia uh, Union or a Southeast Asian Union. I think there is there are things like that, but uh, um, I don't know what that's actually like. I don't know if I don't think it's all like one money, you know, like uh, passport works everywhere you can travel in the same way. I just know that passports are stronger there for local travel, regional travel. A regional passport is stronger for regional travel in Southeast Asia, I believe. But I don't know about their sort of like, the, the I don't know if you, there's a likeness to anything else like United States, the EU, where there is a collective of large um, gross domestic product <laughs> producing states and countries working together and, and allowing open borders. Because commerce has open borders, right? Like money can flow all around the world unchecked. Almost, almost unchecked, if not unchecked. Products, something could be made halfway around the world and shipped halfway around the world for a cost with very little supervision, um, quality control, right? And... And obviously, when we say open borders, I think the first thing is just like, oh, well, then all those safeguards are removed. And that's not true. Right. Again, it's like it's that argument where I'm not asking you to take the locks off your door. I'm not asking you to keep your doors unlocked. Lock your door. But you don't have to lock a million locks on one door. One might be enough, depending on the door. Not everyone wants to get into your house, <laughs> you know? Again, the argument there would be, oh, but it just takes one, it just takes one person, one moment like that. Anyone who's ever been broken into knows the vulnerability and the pain and the um, just that sense of uh, violation. Someone has violated you by coming into your space and doing God knows what. You weren't there, hopefully. And so I certainly also don't want to sit here and just spew off as if I don't know anything. But we've all, if we've lived enough years, we've all, we've all been a part of some kind of trauma. And we've all 
been a part of some kind of violation. It doesn't take away the fact that there is a pendulum swinging between reality and fantasy. Fear is not always real. Sometimes it is, but not always. I think we just get really afraid when we talk about open borders. And again, I, I, you know, you put out the list of pros and cons, and I get it. I get them. I mean, I, I see it both ways. I, I, I just don't understand why we can't try at some point. Talk about it. I I think of North America, and I think, okay, there's three countries, right? And the country, you know, like, if you're going to come from the east, you're going to have to cross an ocean. If you're going to come from the west, you're going to have to cross an ocean. If you're coming from the north, you still kind of have a frozen ocean. From the south, you can make it overland, but you, you have to go through a very small amount of land space to get here. You know, like, I, I don't know what the border, you know, you think of all the concentration that goes into the Mexican border between the United States and Mexico and Canada and America. I mean, where do those resources go if they suddenly leave those borders, just like we don't have that stuff between Oregon and California or Arkansas and uh, Missouri, I presume. So do they go down to the border of Mexico and Guatemala, which is a much smaller land area, and if people are chanting, build the wall, you know, that might actually work a lot more there than along the thousands of miles of uh, you know, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. Not to mention if you wanted to even put a border, a wall or some kind of border like that uh, on the thousands of miles of Canadian uh, territory. You know, would it be better at that point? Again, you put those resources, well, what's on the other side of Canada? It's kind of Russia, China. So you can put that attention there along the coasts. And then the idea being that between Canada and America and Mexico, we don't freak out. We don't freak out about the idea that someone from Mexico City got on a uh, Southwest Airlines flight and made it to Seattle they didn't have to go through international customs. They showed their driver's license or passport or whatever it was. That's all they needed because that's all you would need if you were going from Seattle to Albuquerque. Now, drugs and money and crime, does it go up or does it go down? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the stats are for a neighborhood where everyone goes and gets an extra lock and puts that lock on their door. Does the crime in that neighborhood go up or down? I don't know. 
depending on your perspective, probably nothing changes. But I think there is something to be said for the mental and emotional role that having an open border has over society. I think one of the things that makes Americans a little unique is the fact that we just have so much space to travel. We're not penned in. Even Europe, even if you go to Europe and you could, you know, hop on, hop in a car in Amsterdam and drive through France and then, you know, Germany and then down to like Italy and stuff, you're still, there's only so far you can go before you're going to be hitting borders that are going to be requiring visas and, you know, red tape. The equivalent of going from Seattle and then starting to drive and you're going to hit the Rocky Mountains, you know? You got a lot more America on the other side of that. <laughs> you can still get to it. And in Europe, you know, the same. But again, the, the, the ease of travel in that case, the ease of... There's something about your humanity when you know that you can just go from one place to another place. And it's easy. Versus... If you've ever been somewhere where you have to go through checkpoints and there's armed guards or you're in a place where you have to hand over your passport and it just doesn't look or feel safe. There's a lot of places like that. There's a lot of places that are purposely set up so that you would have to bribe your way to get through. You know, ass, gas, grass, something. So that can strip away your humanity. That can make you feel like you're less of a person. That you don't have the rights that everyone else has. We often take it for granted that we can travel so freely. And open borders is really about traveling. It's about moving, which is very human. You know, looking back to his, not just history, I mean, uh, again, the First Nations of Mexico, America, and Canada, you know, like, at some point there was a First Nations to those First Nations and a First Nations to those First Nations and a First Nations to those First Nations, you know. Um Everyone moves, and everyone moves because uh, food moves, <laughs> you know, the wind moves, uh, you know, things dry up, you got to go somewhere else. Or something moves you. You're pushed out from where you are, and you got to find space. Where do you go? Politically, open borders, it feels like it's a dead topic. And I don't know, again, if that is perspective, that we don't have an overview effect, that we can't see ourselves reflected in that overview effect, that we can't see ourselves reflected in all the images of the earth and the globes and the maps that we have. 
you know, like even in Google Earth, you can take off the borders. <laughs> you know, you can kind of see the globe for what it is. You know, it, we will not always be here, but this rock will probably always be here and the things on it will change. It's weird the more I think about it, that we actually, you know, the idea that, like, we stop people at the border. No one else. No one else who looks like this can come in. And that's really what it is. When it all comes down to the end of it, I mean, I think the reason why politically it's a dead topic is because it calls out America for being as racist as it is when we talk about open borders, it is one of those issues where it says it's okay for us to have it, but it's not okay for you to have it. We're literally, you know, like the last man on the helicopter, right? <laughs> no one else because more people means it's going to pull us all down. But I'm on it. I climbed up, right? Shut the door behind you, Jerry. I... uh I think that when we talk about closing our doors or we talk about immigration, we talk about building the wall, you know, we don't talk about Canada. We talk about Mexico. I don't know what we are trying to avoid by bringing people who don't look like us or sound like us. I don't know what the problem really is. Again, crime. Crime is here. Crime already exists here. We have school shootings after school shootings after school shootings or mass shootings after mass shootings after mass shootings. That's crime. That's dead Americans. And they're being killed by Americans. And closing borders between states wouldn't solve that problem. I mean, opening <laughs> the North American borders wouldn't solve that problem either. That's a totally different problem. But I guess the point being is that it's, you know, the, the violence, how many mass shootings are coming because, you know, uh, again, you know, just because you open up those borders does not mean that you're just allowing crime to happen. I would, again, I would almost argue that when when you're about to open up a border, What you're really saying to the country is, is that, like, we're working together now. We got to figure out a way to work together. Whether that's we got to learn more Spanish or you got to learn more English or, or French or whatever it is. But, you know, if we were to not abolish the North American uh, borders, but to open them up in the same way that, like, provincial, Canadian provincial states are open, uh, Mexican um, estados are open. Abrito, I, I, I uh, imagine. Abierto. Um, you know, but like the way our states are open, I, I just, I don't know what it would really change after the hyster hyster hysterics, after the hysteria is really yeah, after the hysteria. What happens after the hysteria? Because there's going to be hysteria, right? Like, again. It's a dead DOA topic politically. DOA. No one wants to fight for an open border when all, the other person can just say, well, then 
this person's soft on crime. These, you know, MI6 is going to come up here. Is it MI6? That's British intelligence, isn't it? <laughs> all the gangs. All the baddies. Cowboys and Indians. Mexicans. Banditos. They're all going to come up here and rape your grandma. If you open the borders. As if the border control that we have right now which they're always talking about, is in massive need of supplies, help, support, funding. Well, if it's not doing so well, if it, you know, if it can't hold people back, like, again, then what are we doing? I, I think what it comes down to is that, you know, uh, white people are scared that there's just going to be more black and brown people. In the same way that, like, like, if Nova Scotia wanted to be the 51st state instead of Washington, D.C. or Puerto Rico, it might have a better chance. <laughs> it's just, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think at the end of the day, we talk about open borders and even... I I just I just don't see why you can go from Oklahoma to Texas, but you can't go from Texas to Mexico in the same way. Yeah, it's a different country. I get that. Okay, sure. But again, when I was growing up, it wasn't that difficult. You didn't spend hours and hours and hours trying to cross a border. There's a lot of money in security. There's a lot of money in closing borders and I mean people will tell you America would be safer if you could keep everyone in Alabama and Alabama and everyone in Mississippi and Mississippi and everyone in California and California and blah 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 no it wouldn't I think that's nonsense I think it's bullshit I think that's nonsense <laughs> to keep it friendly I think it's nonsense I don't I, I don't know what uh, all borders open Anyone from anywhere could just, I mean, it just at that point, it would just take money. It would just take money and access to get and it's some sort of maybe invitation to get from one place to another. Because it's kind of what it is now. I mean, if you have the right passport, if you have the right credit card, you can kind of get anywhere you want. So it just becomes an economic thing, right? Maybe it's not even about racism, but it's really just about what we view racism as what we think racism is, which is, you know, economic class racism. You know, usually it, it, it's a, we don't mind the right people coming in, which is usually the whiter or at least smarter people who are as rich as us or richer. Yeah, come on in. If you're going to come in and you're going to be poorer than us, then already we are looking at you in as a you know distinctively as a class beneath us to do migrant work we we already have jobs <laughs> we already call the category of jobs you know something that is a little bit more demeaning i don't know i think at the beginning of this thought ramble i think i might have been a little bit less pro open border but as I ramble through it, 
I don't know. I like the idea. Not to say that I'm going to go travel anywhere. And certainly, I mean, I, I, I don't, we even, I, I don't even know how it would affect, you know, something like, okay, you think about COVID. But again, you know, COVID and, and COVID being something that is, is happening or, or any kind of, you know, the pandemic happens an epidemic happens worldwide because we can travel so much more frequently. If we had closed borders, maybe we couldn't fly, you know, people, are, but we're still doing it right. Like open border, closed border. We're still traveling more than we ever have before. So a disease is able to get all around. And if something happened where another pandemic came out, there's again, we're traveling by airports. Airports are going to shut down. There's a lock on the door, <laughs> you know, there's a lock on the door. Mexico and America shaking hands and saying, okay, we're not going to worry about this border between us, but we're going to worry about the borders where people from other places might be able to get into Mexico or America, Canada, North America. You know, we're going to concentrate resources in other ways. Maybe we're going to, that's just us admitting to each other that like, hey, whatever crap you have and whatever crap we have, it's shared crap, you know, <laughs> like um, good fences make good neighbors for sure. There should still be a fence. There should still be a border, a distinction between what is Mexico and what is America. But it doesn't erase what is North America. It doesn't erase the fact that like we have shared existence and shared memories and shared stories. And the more that we grow and the richer of a world that we get, we're just going to move around. I like the idea of open borders. I might have talked myself into it. <laughs> I was hesitant at first, but it just took a little bit of rambling. Well, maybe you should get rambling today. Let your thoughts go. Like and subscribe to the show, and be careful, don't run into any walls as you're staring at your phone all day. 